Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places a dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 183 is recorded live December 26, 2013. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed from the post-Christmas side of the state. I'm Darren Jilson, and joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. Glad to be here. Awesome. And we also have joining us is Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? Just great, thank you. And I have to apologize for everybody in, in missing two weeks. Uh, made attempts both weeks to try and get a show going, and it just didn't work out running a technical problems, changing a little bit of technology before the first of the year here and working through all those issues. And, and tonight I'm going very conservative. I'm on a new computer, so we shouldn't be having any crashes. And I didn't go too fancy. We'll say fancy for next week. So let's go ahead and jump on into the news. You would think with missing three weeks it'd have a lot, but it's, it's actually been a little bit of a slow news time at least in scuba, but the only articles that you get consistently are scuba diving Santa Clauses. And uh, first one up is the husband of Rhonda Cross sues a scuba diving training ag- agency over her death. The husband of a Calgary woman who dived while diving in Mexico is suing an international diving organization, alleging it inadequately teaches divers protect themselves from carbon monoxide poisoning. Rhonda Cross died March 12th, I mean March in 2012, while scuba diving in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. Colin Cross says tests later revealed that her scuba tank contained lethal levels of carbon monoxide. Cross and his scuba and his uh, San Diego-based lawyer Joshua Hale are now suing the Professional Association of Diving Instructors, Patty. Patty is r- roughly a page and a half that deals with the quality of air in the tank that you're using to dive. The page and exa- examines bad air, examines what to do in cases it's bad air. It's Patty's recommendation to test your tank before by tasting it. Hale said. But Hale said the problem with carbon monoxide is it's tasteless and odorless. It does say that there's a problem with carbon monoxide. Patty did not leave that out, but it does, doesn't say how to prevent it from being injured by it. Other parties are mentioned in suit, including Sunshine Dive and Charter, the company that filled the tanks in Mexico. According to court documents, the charter held itself out to being Patty certified as the diving tank filling and maintenance. So what do you think on this one? Well, Suing the agency seems uh, a bit excessive to me, but it's one of those... Name everybody and let the courts figure it out. And generally, it's not the courts. It's deep pockets. They'll settle because it costs more, even though they're going to win it. It'll cost more to win something that's not their fault than it is to pay. Yeah. Yeah, because really who's at fault here is the group that filled the, the tank. Because there's really no way for you to test for that. Is, is there Are there devices that divers routinely use that would check for... Carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide? Not routinely. That's the key item. You can get testers for that, but I don't know a single soul who does that on their individual items unless they're talking about their own compressors. Yeah. Yeah. After this happened, I did see quite a flurry of uh, testers that were available for it, but you're, you're going to double or triple the cost of air for something that shouldn't ex- shouldn't happen in the first place. 
Well, you're not, you shouldn't double or triple the cost of air anyhow. A reputable grouping or those who supply air should have posted their air sample and their particulate test for you to see as a, as a consumer. If you're taking and you're filling air, for example, for a governmental unit such as fire departments, police rescue, my understanding in Michigan, they are to get that tested every 90 days and be posted. Yeah, we have our firehouse compressor air sample every quarter. Now, do you think that this, I mean, we're not going to know for sure, but do you think that this was something that was slowly working up to it? Or is this a one-time event where they had an improper fill situation that they should have avoided? Because it seems like we'd have... I was going to say, the first item to me is find out the people who fill the tank. What is your protocol? Do they, in fact, have a testing method? And if they don't, ergo, if you got to blame somebody, you're down there with the individuals who fill the tank. Yeah, and that, that's kind of where I'm at. I, and I also add that when I have my friends fill my tanks, I always let them die first. <laughs> <laughs> or you make, you make sure that's... Well, what, I mean, what better? You know, you've got the canary you take with you in the cave, right? In the mine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I just delay getting in with my dry suit by then the guys are down. And if I've done there with them and they're functioning okay, I'm good. If they go bad, <laughs> they go sour, I know I got at least 10 minutes to get my butt up. <laughs> well, you always want to make sure that whoever's filling your tanks is also diving. Oh, well, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds a little coarse, but by the same token, it does that work? I would I'll say let you so. be my canary. Yeah. yeah. And, and hopefully the canary's just a little bit bigger than you so they go through the air quicker. That does bring up a point if we're uh, doing mixed gas on our own. But it's like I was saying, like when uh, other guys fill my nitrox, which is all the time, generally I watch them die first. And if they've got a canister full, you know, a major tank, generally I don't die first. It's not on purpose. I just realize that's happening that way. If I watch them <laughs> dive, I associate with them. And if there's going to be a problem, even though susceptibility does depend upon coldness, stress levels, exertion rate, uh, I think watching your buddy's a good, you know, a good indicator, especially if you got air from where you did. Well, it looks like but on that. this one, I think. Go ahead. No, uh, if you get something more, go ahead. I would just say I, I think they're stretching it, like you said. It's they're looking for deep pockets, and they say, well, it's to make things right. You're talking in Mexico. Let's start with their requirements and find out what they did or didn't do, and are they really an agency of Patty? You know, you can say what you want. What's the search show? Well, it looks like that ban in Hawaii. On... I'm done. <laughs> Are you guys hearing me? Am I even coming across? Yeah. Yeah, okay. you're coming. You're wobbling a little bit once in a while. Yeah, it's, we must be having a heck of a delay because it seems like I've talked for two or three seconds and before it's going out. Yeah, that last whole sentence was blurry or, you know, garbly on my side for whatever reason. Okay. Well, the new West Hawaii fishing ban on spearfishing has started. Uh, Governor Neil Abercrombie signed new rules a couple weeks ago that would ban scuba spearfishing the waters off West Hawaii. The regional fish and management area rules were developed over 10 years of discussion and, head- and hearings by the West Hawaiian Fishery Council, the council's community advisory group formed by the formed in the late 1990s to manage conflicts over fishing. The restrictions would prohibit spearfishing in waters off West Hawaii by people diving with the aid of scuba gear. Also limits the collection of aquarium fish to a list of 40 species 
It redraws boundaries of a fishery management area off Puko using updated information on the reef. The spear fishing ban was the most contentious measure considered. Those supporting it say scuba spear fishing harms fish stocks in the ecosystem. They said scuba divers target larger fish, which is a concern because the offspring of the larger fish survive better and grow faster than the offspring of younger fish. They also argue that scuba diving fishermen harvest in deep waters where fish take refuge. Now, doesn't that seem a little bit contrary? Uh, isn't that why they have size limits, is that you save the small fish and not the large ones? R- right there just contradicts well, that. I went and looked at this a little bit, and I looked at a lot of the comments that people had on this, and it's like item number one seems to be the consensus that does nothing to do with commercial fishing, which is the big deal of taking the fish and taking the stock fish because when they net and catch other items, they're killing other fish they don't use. It's not the fisherman, sport fisherman, that's the issue. Second items, depend on if you're conspiracy theory or the government wants to control everything, it says it's just additional laws that can't be enforced with any regularity, and it's something that if they catch you, they can hammer you with, even though they don't go out and look for you. Because it's not economically efficient to go out and start check fishermen to see if you have a spear gun on board. Um, It's quite interesting about this, though. Slippery slope. Just remember they ban one thing, then the next, what's next? Slippery slope, and it doesn't exist. It's interesting. And then this next one is speaking with dolphins. And my internet is incredibly slow, too. I'd get them all going, but I think that would just kill what, what little internet I've got. Listen, here's what about beach access. No, this is the one, the woman who can talk to dolphins. she a dolphin whisperer? Uh, in a certain aspect, uh, this is Dr. Denise Herzing, founder of the Wild Dolphin Project, is, uh, is working on creating an underwater keyboard that will work as a translator between humans and dolphins. The keyboard uh, named CHAT, uh, Caesarean Hearing and Telemetry, has four symbols that correspond with a specific sound and a toy. She describes how when she talks to dolphins using the keyboard, the system requests a toy they want to play with. Basically, the dive, diver activates a sound on a keypad on his forearm. The sounds go out through an underwater speaker. If a dolphin mimics the whistle or a human plays the whistle, a sound comes in and are localized by two hydrophones. Technology can detect dolphins' natural sounds, letting the human diver who's wearing the device know which call is being made and what it means. The team is also hoping to get each device a signature whistle. It gives themselves dolphins' names so the animals could resist uh, requests specific divers to play with. The video, um, and then the, the article shows a, has a video showing uh, the divers using it. Sounds interesting. Yeah, it, it could be, but four keys? I mean, I th- haven't I seen them, them do that with a chicken? They just have like a little display, and there's like, you know, X's, O's, stars, stars and hearts, and they're able to get the chicken to peck to get food. I mean, it, I'm not sure that they're necessarily talking. You know, they may be doing some of the very basics. Now, I guess the other the part of this is that the device is listening to dolphins trying to figure out what they want. Well, we don't listen to each other, so I'm uh, <clears throat> not sure why we're listening to dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I said we don't listen to that? each other. I said we don't listen to each other, so why are we going to listen to dolphins? One more time. Am I breaking up? No, I can hear you. I... No. I heard you fine. <laughs> oh, oh okay. subtle joke there. 
right. Well, did you go through and look at some of the comments from people? No, I didn't on this one. It said, uh, what most people don't know about John T. Lilly's infamous LSD experience was that he gave it to a dolphin that had been severely traumatized during the filming of Flipper when an assistant director, so-and-so, shot it with a spear gun three times to film the scene for the movie. The dolphin, for some reason, would not approach humans after that until he gave him some LSD. <laughs> they do learn, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was actually right at the beginning of the article, said uh, that, that John Lilly. Yeah. Well, the next one is we have the pioneering female scuba diver uh, trying to keep beach access open. Phyllis Milnick uh, is heavily known in the La Jolla community meetings during the past several years. She has become before the Town Council Community Planning Aids Association, Village Merchants Association, other groups imploring La Jolla's to help establish an elaborate remodel of the sidewalks area above the Children's Pool Beach. The design by La Jolla landscape architect creates a surfer surface, or as I said surfer, a safer surface for pedestrians and a more aesthetically pleasing public experience to complement a new lifeguard tower there. Uh, she has reached her goal of $250,000 fundraising with a pledge received last month for 200000 She is passionate for the project and keeping the children's pool accessible to public. She is someone who has repeatedly re rejected the once male-dominated sport of scuba. She refused to let anyone else tell her she cannot enter the water. $250,000. That's pretty. That's a pretty good chunk of change here. wonder how long she's been working at it. And exactly where is that money going again? It really looks like it's for a pedestrian walk. So I don't know if that just... In a particular place, <clears throat> in a particular place for a dedicated purpose, correct? It's a Children's Pool Beach, and she says it helps keep it open uh, for scuba diving. So, yeah, you're right, for one specific area. Is what that's, she a nice, yeah, that's a nice gesture and, and, and sufficient fund, it would appear, to be able to do that adequately. Yeah. The rest of the verbiage on her, though, I'm not sure what that has to do with anything concerning beach access. It talks about the difficulty she had in the 60s being a female to get a class to take her. And that's odd. Uh, I've seen classes and items in the late 60s and early 70s that were open to everybody and Females were, were greatly, you know, encouraged. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Not sure why she would have, especially in California, you'd think they're known for being a little bit more progressive in some of these areas. I just, the other item in here she was talking about, a few concessions were granted to her for being a woman to get to most of the prime dive spots. She traversed rocky cliffs and long hikes. If you're a woman, you carry your own gear. Well, if you're a guy, you carry your own gear. Well, right, yeah. So, what'd somebody think? But according to Rich, he said that. And obviously, uh, most guys have enough chivalry in them; they're going to give. Yeah, yeah, that and that's what Rich was had been saying. So, yeah, if you're a woman getting in the sport, I mean, you can sometimes consummate. Yeah, I'm old. People give me a <laughs> And then I've seen this next article. Heck, so I'll take sure support anytime I. This next article I've seen uh, a few times, and they talk about an ancient city discovered underwater. Uh, they said a city of God, Hercelian was engulfed underwater 1,500 years ago. The city had been mentioned by Greek writer Herodias 
a 5th century B.C. historian. He had told the wonderful tale of the Helen of Troy who traveled to a great uh, to a port of great wealth with her Trojan lover Paris. A French marine archaeologist, Frank Gaudillo, uh, stumbled across some relics. He led him to one of the greatest finds of the 21st century, a city underwater. Uh, you want, this is These are some amazing photos they've got here. Have you seen any of these before, Jim? Yeah. Or Mac? No, this is the first time. Oh, just like to look at the gold. The gold? I think they did find some gold, they said. Yeah, the gold. Bronze statue. Yeah. yeah, there's a, that and that bronze statue. is very attractive. Yeah. And, and on that one they had is a nice picture of a uh, a pot. I just wonder if they rubbed the top of it first. <laughs> You'll see the one the lantern. You that just, looked, that looks yeah, that looks like a classic uh lantern of the lamp. And that last picture is outstanding. One that looks like a tombstone with all the hieroglyphics. Yeah. Well, the, yes. It, they've they've rubbed the barnacles or whatever off it so you really can see the relief in the engraving. It looks out, that's outstanding, how, isn't it? Yeah, a one it's point. It's amazing how smooth that stone is, and then to be engraved inside that. Yeah, they said a the one point one point nine meter inscribed pillar, and it was commissioned between three seventy eight and three sixty two BC. So mm-hmm. about you know, a little over thirteen hundred, twenty three hundred years old. I wonder who found that first: an archaeologist or a diver? Let's see. Let's go back to the top here i think they said it says a marine archaeologist stumbled upon some relics but yeah i i, I kind of tend to agree with you mac is did he just happen to be out there doing something else or was there a diver who kind of pointed him to it he said he was in search of Nap- napoleon's warships from the 1798 battle of nile which was was uh when napoleon was defeated by nelson did the same thing about the depth. I was just looking at their equipment. Obviously, dry suits, full face with camo. Yeah, they've got doubles on their backs, at least in one of the shots uh, I saw. Uh, there's a couple of neat shots in there. Yeah, what, yeah I what, see the doubles here. Yeah, are they double 40s maybe? Yeah, they sure don't look like hundreds and 80s, do they? No, they, and they're they're quite a bit offset. The tanks aren't real close to each other, kind of some of the old Jacques Cousteau-looking rigs. But heck, for weight-wise, that... That doesn't look too bad of a setup. Well, I'm curious, though, again, how deep they are. Well, but look at the one shot, the the, the guy in the, about the fourth photo down. I don't see a regulator on one of the stems. Yeah, it looks, it looks like, like on a, the left-hand side. Yeah, but that, that means he's just got two tanks feeding one first stage. Yeah, correct. Using two small tanks to feed a single. Yeah. The way you get the bloom effect, it almost looks like it's, it's pretty shallow. <clears throat> yeah, they... I don't know. It's uh, well, like the one when you see the the statue or the um, pillar. They got happy H A P I. Yeah. Yeah. Looking up though, that doesn't look deep from the the way the ghosting or the the shadow is. I don't know. For some reason, I'm going to guess about forty feet is my feeling because you look at some of them. Well, the, there's one where you can see there's there's a little bit of backlight, which I would agree with you. But then there's others where the, all the light is coming from. Uh, the camera, yeah, but it can't be. It shouldn't be too deep if it's only you know only two thousand years. You don't stuff shouldn't mm-hmm. sink that far into the the sea, right? I'm gonna have to look that one up because that does look interesting as heck. Yeah, and that shallow dish, that, that shallow gold uh, dish, they said it was yeah. used for drinking, which seems kind of odd. Yeah, I just hit it on a different net. <clears throat> 
And it says up until 2001, there'd been no evidence of the city from that classical tale. So obviously, it's, you know, where they say it's lost. I'm not sure how lost it really is. Well, a lot of this stuff is lost and discovered many times over. Yep. yep. A- ask a fisherman where he doesn't like to go because his net gets caught all the time, and that could be the spot. Yes. And then you, you, the funny is that somebody will say they discovered it, but then you talk to the uh, the fisherman's family, and they've been calling it whatever for how many hundreds of years. And this next one, the Port Huron Museum was selling artifacts from the SS Regina. This uh, aroused from, was it Wayne Brusate? Is that how you say it? B-R-U-S-A-T-E. Uh, he shifted through piles of matchsticks and crates to recover bottles, spoons, and coal inside a sunken package right at the bottom of Lake Huron. The artifacts from the steamship Regina are finding their way to homes and museums in the United States and Canada through a sale. Bruce Ait was a commercial diver discovered the Regina in 1986, donated 50 to 60 legally recovered items from the SS Regina, the Port Huron Museum, and additional artifacts of the Great Lakes Maritime Institute and the Dawson Great Lakes Museum in Detroit. Some of the items donated to the Port Huron Museum were sold to offset the cost of Museum's Storm of 1913 remembered exhibit and events. It was a unique opportunity for people to legally get some items from shipwrecks of that era. There aren't many artifacts like that. He was with uh, Gary Benecki and John Severance on July 1st, 1986, when he discovered the Regina in 80 feet of water and three and a half miles offshore between Lexington and Port Sanilac. Approximately 250-foot package freighter was floating general store that transported items such as whiskey, champagne, matches, lotions, soap, soap, canned goods, sank 100 years ago, during the storm of 1913, it was one of the ships that shipwreck hunters were looking for. He f- happened upon the Regina while he was using a side-scanning sonar to look for a sunken tugboat. He and other divers made about 400 dives in Regina in 1987 and 88 with permits from the State Department of Natural Resources, the Secretary of State, and the U.S. Army, Army Corps of Engineers. They recovered about 1% of the ship's contents. The following conditions of the permit, Brusate would store the recovered items in a warehouse. The state museums visited a warehouse about once a month and got first picks of the artifact. They said about once a month. Is that like once a month for the last 30 years or just <coughs> once in a while? Well, I can see why the state didn't want anything because <clears throat> 99% of it's still on the ship, right? Yeah. And they can't maintain what they got on the surface, so... Interesting. And they did the recovery many years ago before the – I was wondering when the last time was they issued a permit, a salvage permit. Did not somebody we know went to that museum to look around at that? And Yeah, Dave, uh, who's in a chat room, and uh, Rich Sinowick both went to that sale, and I think they uh, you know, bought a couple items. Yeah, Dave said he bought a horseshoe and a drinking glass from the sale. So the $30 horseshoe and the drinking glass for uh, – 40 bucks. Hey, Dave, I can sell you a horseshoe. <laughs> yeah. I got one with a hoof on it. You still want that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. There's this, this is probably a topic for a whole show on its own. You know, is this something that could ever happen again? I mean, the, the permit? Or is this one of those items where it was the last time it happened? They said items went from a little... $10 a piece for coal, up to $250 for a champagne bottle. With the cork. Mm. I don't know. I'm just curious how much they charge for the matchsticks. <laughs> Dollar a stick. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just them. made that up. 
I know. But they they got a certificate of authenticity. It's kind of cool that you you're able to get an item. That's much better than sitting down there. I just wonder how much conservation was done with the items that they had. Now I'm guessing that they only pulled up one percent. I don't. I it doesn't. Is that because they were only allowed to take one percent, or is that all they ended up taking before realizing that it was more than they wanted to mess with? I don't know. I don't have a clue on that one. But I do remember when they discovered it. Yeah, Dave was saying he doesn't think there was much conservation done on it. Well, most of the plates don't need a lot of conservation, fortunately, for ceramic and porcelain. Well, that does it for scuba in the news. We're gonna we got some links to some photos. Here's an underwater photo that appears to show an alien spacecraft. Now, Max, see if you can figure out what that <laughs> you is. Drug me in, <clears throat> you drug me in then. I had to see what the heck are they talking about? <laughs> and as soon as you see it, you know what it is. Uh, yeah, I know what it is. Jim, did you see it? Jim, you know what it is, right? I haven't looked at that one yet. <clears throat> I think this should be part <clears throat> of the... If I said spokes of a wagon wheel, I guess say spokes of a wagon wheel give you a clue. Is the season? It is the season. Speaking of that, have you have you seen is ice forming? Oh yes, going. The lakes are well covered. I need my way. I need I need to take a little detour to Singer and see if we've got anything coming on that one. I, I did find my chainsaw this morning, but that that underwater follow that shows an alien spacecraft for those who haven't figured out what we're talking about is it's is it somebody who they they, they what throws you off is the square hole, so I, I would call them rookies. <laughs> Either that, they needed something big to get in and out, uh, and then the spokes are just the pattern that you make in the ice. That if you happen to to uh, get lost underwater in the ice, that help you find your way back to the hole. But a nice photo. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to have that visibility. Like, well, that's almost like Lake Sixteen that time. Yeah, I think I think we could get that. Plus, I think there's tricks that you can do. With a longer exposure. Because a lot of times it seems to be the low visibility, especially in the winter, is just any particulate that the first divers in kick up. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's see. We had another one. Oh, so we had some potentially cool scuba gear. How's this for... Uh... Let's see here. SCP Marine announces the underwater jetpack. A UK-based company has announced its new underwater jetpack. They're using funds via crowdsourcing to put the jetpack into production. And for those of you who, who aren't seeing this, imagine uh, it looks like brace or something that uh, a gladiator would wear and then attach. So they're, imagine them from your wrist to your elbow on your forearm. Then off from each forearm is a little motor. So you kind of go in a Superman type of position and it thrusts you around. Got a little control in his right hand where he's able to uh, power it. And then it has cables that run to a uh, battery pack. Basically, it looks like a normal DPV, diver propulsion vehicle, that the guy used on I Shrank the Kids, honey. Shrank yeah. that down without the battery pack and then has a line to the smaller DPV to the battery pack that goes on your backside. Yeah. Oh, is that a full-size one in the back? So they got them on the that back and the like arms? The, it looks like where the battery packs are on his, on his butt part. Uh-huh. Because he doesn't have scuba gear on. 
Yeah, because they're just showing well, you him in the pool. Yeah, you got some good close-ups of it. That I, oh, did you go down and look at the Iron Man outfit? No. <laughs> With belt? Yeah, go down a third shot down. Looks like the Iron Man. He won't need any extra weights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's, he won't uh, need those DPVs. He's gonna walk. Yeah, that, that's to the uh, the artist version of it. So yeah, a little bit extreme. They said the oh, and he also has back thrusters on that one item. Yeah, so that's that's what I was wondering if it was just arm or if it also included back. So it was, that one showed uh, back thrusters. But for three thousand five hundred pounds or about fifty seven hundred dollars, you can get one. There are some really nice DPVs out there I would get for $5,700. Yeah, yeah, you can you can get a lot. I mean, it's cool, but there's not enough divers out there where you're going to be able to sell this. Right, you're not going to make your money back. Yeah. Be great for James Bond, though. Yeah. Cool idea. About four times too expensive. And then here's a, I knew you'd like this one, Mac, a sub. The platypus. The uh, final design of the Platypus Scuba Sub has been revealed. After four years of painstaking development and prototyping the Platypus underwater exploration craft's final design has been unveiled. And this is the VPLP designed by Van Petiflem Lariat Provost, a French naval architect firm, who will probably sue me for mispronouncing their name, is a <laughs> twin-hulled craft that can navigate the surface of the water as easily as it does beneath the waves. Designed to be an open platform, the Platypus 2 pontoons not only keep the craft aloft, afloat, aloft, <laughs> in the air, I, no, they said afloat, while cruising, but also contains the air compressor and supplies oxygen to its passengers while submerged. The craft's final dimension is 5.7 meters or 19 feet long and 2.5 meters or 8 feet wide make it small enough to fit inside a 20-foot shipping container but still large enough to carry four passengers it is equipped with two outboard motors it has the option of three different drive chains two which are electric the first powertrain gives a platypus a 40 kilometer or 25 mile range with a maximum speed of five knots the vessel's second powertrain option ups both the range and speed of the platypus to 48 kilometers 30 miles and 10 knots in its final configuration, a platypus would have an 80-kilometer, 50-mile range at top speed of 14 knots, making it more than capable of taking on any underwater pleasure tour. Although the platypus is slated for production, the craft's initial delivery dates are still a little murky. Regardless of the ship's designers say the first platypus will ship next year, and they have started taking pre-orders. The platypus starts at $69,000, which uh, certainly a lot cheaper than a full sub, but maybe a bit expensive for a personal underwater exploration vehicle i could buy a pretty decent dive boat for that yes you could well they don't really show too good of now, i didn't watch the video so maybe i would see more in the video but that that shot so they're making it sound like if i was a tour operator i would have one of these and i'd use it to, to make me money because i don't think somebody's going to buy it just to play around with because Branson and all those guys, they have theirs, which were, you know, the million-dollar units. So, Yeah, the ones that you're going to make your money on are the multi-people type that actually go down to 600,000 feet that are millions of dollars. And eventually you might get your money back. That is cool looking, though. Well, that does it for the news, the photos, the gear. Now, hopefully in three weeks somebody got a dive in. I, I haven't been able to. I've been traveling for work, which is driving me nuts. But, uh, Mac, you've had to have gotten in the water. Yeah, so far I've got every weekend done. 
Uh, see, weekend before last, we actually had down to the river. Uh, we had skim ice on shore on both sides. Um, nice little current. Probably had three and a half to a four foot visibility. <clears throat> Water temperature about 38. Uh, and that's the one that uh, Mr. Meester found that really nice sarsaparilla bottle. That was oh, that, a nice looking bottle. Yeah. And he even said sarsaparilla, even though I couldn't pronounce yes. it. Yes. Very nice. And uh, last week we went back again, and he was trying out some new uh, dry gloves using the uh, dry rings from a Viking. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And Bob didn't go with us this time. Last week he he got in to check his new suit, and uh, his gloves were not the uh, really warm kind. Uh-huh. So one of the few times he got out before we did, but at least he got in. And yeah. uh, the river was faster. Uh, the river. Nails didn't work out. You needed either a good river stack, and I I wish I'd have had my creeper with me last week. Current's up. Visibility's down less than two feet, and there's some trees out there that were not there two weeks ago. That, now, that so, amazes uh, me just how, how stuff like that happens where you can be there one week and it looks one way, and it didn't right. seem like we had. I know we had some rain, but it didn't seem like flooding or anything. Well, yeah, it had been flooded out there uh Three weeks ago, the dock was underwater on the back end of it, and the current was pretty good out towards the middle. But it, it's interesting that I was reading some other articles on people doing uh, dives in black water for megalodon teeth. You know what I'm talking? Yeah. And how fast the current was, that even if you're uh, relatively like us, we're not really whipping current out there. <clears throat> usually less than two knots, usually. But... With the low vis, he was giving an example. He was out in his known conditions and was being sort of going with the flow backwards. You know how we do that with our fins. Yeah. And he got to a certain part, and he said, okay, I think I'll just move a little bit. And he moved and went thump. And immediately he go, what do you mean thump? <laughs> yeah. And he, he backed up a little more, edged around, and tried to come up and went thump. And he had no idea he had gone into an enclosed space. The enclosed space was trees. And that's biggest hazard I think we have out there is tree limbs, uh, Christmas trees. You get tangled in those, it's a pain in the butt. So when we're out there last week, it's like creeping down. I'm, I'm, I know where I'm at, and it's go thump, and you go thump. There's nothing to go thump. Damned if that's where that tree was. So even though you know the area, when you got zero vis, you got to be darn careful where you're going. Now in that situation, what? I mean, I can easily imagine myself having that happen. What are the steps that you'd use to get out of that? Generally, when I get something snagged on my downline, because when we're out there in that skim ice and stuff, I, I carry my inner tube so I cannot pull it down. There's a lot of dead weight up there. If I had the float, I can pull that float down, and I can be tangled. Uh, on the opposite side, remember a couple of years ago we were over there, and I realized I, I went in and I looked up, and I started to come up, and it's like, ah, uh, that's this tree root. I was under the embankment, and I had the small flag. So I sort of reeled it in a little bit to see what would happen, and it snagged at the root ball at the top. And, of course, I just sort of came out and didn't pull on it. and realized I didn't really want to do that again. So <clears throat> carrying something like the big inner tube that you can't pull down is good because as I go backwards, if the line starts staying in front of me instead of behind me with the current, I got a real good clue that I snagged something. 
And since I use a fixed line, it would have snagged me first before I got too far under the log. Uh, I see what you're getting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was trying to figure out where this is going. But what you're saying is by having that float and being in contact to the float, if something got between you and your float, you're going to know because you're either going to try, you're going to feel the the tension pulling the float down. So that tells you that, you know, you're going to, you're not, you're going to be alerted before you're too far in. Right. Even, you know, when, when we've gone up to Grand Haven and dove the, uh, the bay out there uh, on that January 1st afternoon dive, uh, yeah. we had ice flows out there. Yeah. And if you're not careful, you'd be under a flow and not realize it. Well, with the big flag, you can't pull that under the flow. Right. True. And it's go, you suddenly get that tension and it's like, you know what it is. So you come back up, find out where the heck you are and get away from that ice flow. Yeah. And, that, and that's like you're tethered to the surface too. Because that yeah. float, that float is in a spot, or at least the line is going up through a tiny hole that's not part of the ice. Yeah, because uh, we're at that time of year where you could the, the ice flows can move around and you can get quite a ice jam going. Yeah, that's why I really don't like to do the river too much. Not when it's narrow like we have it. I mean, if you've got flows, you get a big sheet comes over you, and that's about the time you need to come up. Yeah, not going to be a very happy time. Yeah, you get a free flow, and if you can't come straight up, it's a different situation then. Oh, yeah. When I'm in the ice or something like that, I've already got a bailout because sure as hell you don't take a bailout, you're going to wish you did. And if you get the bailout, and even if you don't have a problem, you feel more comfortable because you know you got that extra bit of air. Yeah. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of buffer there. Right. And then generally, I know there, because it's normally along the coast or the sides, you go out to the deeper water that you can tell on the slope, come up, then you're usually going to be in the clear of the ice. You'll be in at least in a hole which I'd rather be as opposed to under the ice at that time. But right now we don't have a lot to worry about, so no, let's get out there and enjoy it. Yeah. So, Jim, you're, you're saying that uh, Diamond, or not Diamond, but... Uh, all, the lakes lakes and, all the lakes and sister lakes are iced over. Any fishermen out yet? Uh, I haven't really noticed any now with the fresh snow that we've just gotten. Might be able to see some tracks, but I haven't been out the look i'll try to take a look tomorrow for you guys yeah i hadn't been out there since i've been playing in the river but i just might have to check singer out just like you said yeah well singer's not too far from my house here so i I'm, i might need to go do that tomorrow morning is that kind of our go-to plan if we're going to do anything in the next three or four days well i was looking to do something on this weekend i mean even i mean i'd like a few people not just me yeah <laughs> but uh if nothing else i was going to hit the river uh, hopefully the current wouldn't be too bad, but more than anything else, you know how it is when you don't use your suit, it shrinks. So I yeah. just wanted to keep it lubricated and uh, yeah. maybe take the, the creeper down. It is getting fa- colder on your face out there. Yeah. Well, th- this time of year, really what it is, I think it has to do with Thanksgiving and Christmas, is that, that that holiday time shrinks the suits even more than normal. Oh, big time, big time. So I, I figure it's also therapy because you get out there, you're a little chillier, helps burn that calories a little quicker. So I'm going to recommend swimming in ice water to help you reduce your waistline. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. You got to how many calories are, do you burn up trying to melt ice with your body <laughs> or melt the ice? Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to look up and see what the difference is for cold water swimming with a wetsuit on. Yeah, I, I would think that there would be a little bit. That could be a new trend we could do, you know. Now, uh, now, speaking of the holiday season, hopefully everybody had a great Christmas. Uh, anybody get any scuba gifts? 
I got some books. Books, those are good. Yeah, I got another one for just reference on um, Fast Water Rescue. Uh, very, very good books. Even if you're not going to do Fast Water Rescue, it's good to um, get that type of material. Look at their arrangements, their protocol. One, you might have to help them one day. And if you're in the water and you have a problem and they're rescuing you, if you have an idea what they're doing, that could also help you. Uh, it's interesting looking at their gear, their survival techniques, rescue techniques. And then I got another one. It basically is a, a dozen episodes of where divers who have normally done their normal thing went out and got themselves in trouble. And part of it is due to distractions or they did something really stupid. And obviously you hope to learn from their example so you don't do that. And to make you aware of no matter how good you are, you better have your contingencies. You better practice them. And uh, when I finish the books, they'll be available through the club. Yeah, that's something to be said about not getting complacent. How about you, Jim? Did you get any anything scuba-related for the holidays? I bought myself a new river stick. Ooh. Now, is it is it a, something fancy or normal? No, I was down at Harbor Freight, and they had those mini uh, pickaxes available. Oh, yeah. It's like a 12-inch spread on it, maybe a 14-inch spread on an 18-inch handle or so. So I picked up a couple of those. Awesome. Those are nice. So nice, you know. I had to just put your land on it. They, they ought to hold pretty well. Yeah, I a got good a, river stick or a good ice stick also. Yeah, I got to put together a new river stick or at least remember mine. Mine's, mine's not too bad, but the first one I had is still my favorite, so I'm going to go back to something along those lines. Maybe the few attached. Oh, carry the big brick with you? you well, carry no. that brick again? No, not the brick, but I had uh, the one that I lost in Cooper River. I mean, they had a nice line on it. It had uh, a spike on the back end and a big wide blade in the front, and that that just worked really well. I have lost my two favorite stainless steel probes. I lost those when Larry and I were out looking for a, a motor over there in Sister Lakes area or in Magician really? Lake. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's something for somebody to find. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All that muck, they're going to find it all right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, wherever you lost it, you lost it in a place nobody else is going to be. Well, they might be there, but there's a lot of silt there. Yeah, well, uh, for Christmas, I got, uh, my wife bought me a dive knife. So I had, uh, I had a dive knife, a nice little one. That was a nice surprise. Is this was, your backup or your harness one? Uh, this is one, uh, this would be, well, I would I would call it kind of an in-between. My, my primary knife, which I have, I, I like to have that one on my hose. Yeah, it's real easy to get to. And my hand's always there, and I didn't have really a secondary knife, so this one would be one of the leg. It's a it's a smaller one. Uh, it's got a, it's magnetic, so uh, I guess as the the dive store told her is that you can uh, stick it onto a tank or something. Except for my tank's aluminum, uh, and then it's uh, it's got uh, you know it's serrated on one side, and then it has like a line cutter on the back. So it's a, it's a nice one. It's about the three and a half four inch blade. So uh, I'd like to have three and then a pair of shears, and I'd, I'll, I'll be all equipped out with my, my dive knives. And then my daughter uh, had a, has been working with a, a laser engraver at school, so she made a uh, an ornament, which is now my Facebook profile, where she uh, laser-burned wood with a uh, silhouette of a diver and a dive flag. I've seen that. I was wondering about it. Yeah, she, she made that, so that was very cool and much appreciated. That's a interesting i'll have to send you a pattern and see if she can burn something with it yeah i gotta yeah. work on it finish it up but it's a, a 
pattern I've been working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's able to we were up to engrave uh, wood, glass, and I guess they've done ceramic tile. Mm. That's cool. We were up in Grand Rapids three weeks ago at a show, and one of the items they had there was similar. Must be what you're talking of a laser graph, a laser in, um, engraver. Mm-hmm. They also had the 3D printer, and they were doing the same thing. Give them the design you want, and they were actually fabricating that sucker for you there. Yeah, they, they've got two laser engravers and one one 3D printer there in the Math and Science Center. So it'll be interesting to see what she comes up with. I guess they just added a, where they can do round objects, too, in this laser engraver. So this is one of the, wow. one of the schools where I would like to get them involved with uh, underwater ROVs. Yeah. Well, that'll be... Obviously, you'll be one of the members of the uh, ROV committee. They start up, I believe, it's going to be started up in January. Yeah, yeah, I'm interested in that. That'll be that'll be something to see what kind of traction we can get. Yeah, well, Mr. Bob went out there and put down big money again and got him a new rebreather. Oh, did he? Wow. Oh, yeah. His old one's available. Yeah. Yes, his yeah, old one is available. He's selling his old rebreather. Yeah, you heard it here. Nobody it, wants it to buy a, a truck. Deal. If they'll buy my truck, I'll buy his rebreather. Yeah. I mean, his rebreather is good for somebody truck. for somebody who wants to uh, to dive that. I, I would. I think I need a little bit more aid than what he had on that rebreather. I think it was good for Bob, but it might not be good for me. Well, it comes with pretty much anything you want. It's there. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the neat features of the newer one, total weight of it, is 21 pounds. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you tell me about it. And that's one of the things that have been attractive about rebreathers in the first place is just uh, how much lighter they are. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this summer to go and get into some tech diving, and that's what I am not looking forward to is massive quantities of doubles. Okay, now since we're talking items like that, I'm going to start plugging a few things, okay? Yep. Okay, obviously February 8th was the uh, Bon Terre trip uh, for – a couple of people who are going to go on that. That's still being done through Wolf's Marine there in Benton Harbor. And, February 8th? Uh, I'm not sure who signed up. February the 8th and 9th. That's the dates on the board. On February 14th and 15th, I will be going to Our World Under Order in Chicago. I would imagine other people will be going. I'll be going on Saturday myself. I'll just do the day trip. Right now, I went through the listings of... Uh, seminars and there's really only one i enjoy i would like to go to but for the difference in the money i'm going to go just go see who i know hit the uh the booths and have a good time and probably hit the bass pro shop and cabela's on the way back like we did last year uh the following week weekend is great lakes festival which is four g horses and uh again you need to look at the itinerary to see if you like what's going to be put on there uh, our world, there's a lot on travel. There's a lot on shipwrecks, but not necessarily local. Uh, a lot on photography. And if you're an instructor, good places to catch up on items like refresher training for your paddy. You also will be able to do the DAN course for the oxygen, tank inspections. So just get online, look up our world underwater and see what you like there. You can do the same thing for the Great Lakes Festival. Basically, we used to call it the Seahorse Festival. Like, so that's the 22nd. Now, starting in March, you got the 15th, and that's actually 14, 15, 16. And that's the Ghost Ships uh, Scuba Fest Milwaukee. there in Wisconsin, uh, Milwaukee, that, Wisconsin. 
Yeah, Scuba that Fest is, a, is the same date, and that's Ohio. Ghost Ships is a great one for just shipwrecks in general. It's all that, about shipwrecks. That's more the techie group. Um, you'll find good buys on steels. I, I, again, now, they're a little salty because you're talking high-quality tech gear, um, and you do have some really nice seminars, and generally they have the uh, introduction to rebreathers and the opportunity to check them out. So that's worth going. And even if you didn't dive it, going to the, the class on it is still really a good idea. And again, that weekend is the same date as Scuba Fest and Ohio. And I may be going to the Ohio one. Bob will be going to the Wisconsin one. So there's car pool, uh, you know, opportunities either way. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the, the two closest ones coming up that you really do need to put on your your agenda if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're hitting that time of year, so it's uh, worth going and checking them out. We'll have links on the website so people can get an idea when they're coming up. I'd just like to get back and see if I can find my my uh, my maritime friends that I saw a couple of years ago again at Our World Underwater. The ones with uh, the fins. The ones with fins. Ah, yeah. yes, yes, I I get the ones that you're you're talking about. I, I have an idea they may be there. My the last year they were there for one hour, so you gotta get in there quick if you're gonna be able to get in there and swim with the little fishies. Or uh, sit down and have them sit on your lap. That's nice too. <laughs> yeah, Dave is saying that there's a, a meet and greet uh after this Ford Seahorses show that we may want to check out. Where was that? At Divers Incorporated. Oh, you mean after the after uh yeah. show? Yeah, they had that last year, too, as I remember. Yeah, I didn't make it yeah. up. I, last year, my daughter was in middle of swim team, but she decided not to do this year. She's loaded up with schoolwork, so she's skipping out in the swim team. So I think I can make the shows. I stopped by the uh, Divers Inc. show or after show event last year and had a wonderful time. Not sure if I'll be going that way, but uh, I if anybody does go to that, I may have to Leave some money with him to pick up some equipment I might want from him. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'm going to try. I, I just have to see. There is some stuff that happens. My wife just mentioned some dates in February, and I, ha- I can't remember what they were for. Not, almost as if I well, wasn't I'm trying paying to attention. Pop- yeah. I'm trying to populate the club site. Um, I've already put a 2014 for the newsletters and for the uh, events, and I will start populating them with the dates. I did some identifications of wrecks we're going to be doing this year, but I did not put the dates down. They're all to be determined. Uh, so if there's something in there or not in there, let me know so I can put it in. So if it's there, we can start planning and putting dates on it. Yeah. Uh, generally, what you see is where we dove after the fact. I'd like to give it a little more advanced you know, notice. Yeah, I know that we have some divers who've been wanting to come over for Ann Arbor 5 and some of our other wrecks and, and these are these are great wrecks some of them are a one dive and you've seen it but there are others that you, you want to go two or three times and they may become regulars for you if you haven't done them before so this time of year if you can't if you're not a nice diver and you don't get out you just got to start planning uh, next week i think what we should do is start talking about our diving new year's resolutions yeah dive more dive more try to get that <laughs> dive more dive better get more gear more training more trips use the gear or use the gear we got. Oh, yeah. I, you're telling me I've been talking to some up there in St. Clair, and it's just it's grading on me. I haven't been up there in two years or so. We've got to get to St. Clair. We've got to get back up to the Blue Water Bridge. Yeah. And well, you guys have got to get a Superman dive in at least one. 
Yeah, we got to get that plan because you start figuring it out. Then you, if you have 10 or 15 dive locations you want to get to, I mean, there's only 52 weekends in a year to begin with, and you start marking off holidays and birthdays and other commitments, and you're pretty much booked up before you even start. Yeah, you almost have to go in the middle of the, bo- the week. You have to take a day or two days and put it in the middle and do it. Otherwise, you're not going to get it done. Yep, and I've been because you can't do it on or the take a week. Yeah, or or take a week's vacation and go to a dive destination. Yeah, well, and that's well, one we way we already have that. We have that. Yeah, a lot of people do yeah, that. Sheboygan and Mac busted. Now, I got two references in there this year. One is for the wreck diving part, meaning, and I said starting in August, in sometime in September, and then the following weekend would be the normal. Well, I'll muddies go up and do their grubbing because I still love the river up there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I want to get up there this year. I I've, I think I've missed the last two years, and hopefully I don't make a third. But if you want to follow what Max's talking about, you got to go to mudclub.scubaobsessed.com, and you can see the schedule that he's talking about putting up there. You also can f- go to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com, and we've got Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed, or Google, www.google.com forward slash plus googleobsessed, Google not googleobsessed, Scuba obsessed plus scuba obsessed. Goodness. Here, have another drink. You're Retake. 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 Take, take two. We'll edit that out, post edit. So we'll, we'll fix that up. Uh, and also on Twitter, at scuba obsessed is our Twitter handle. You can, if you have some comments for the show, tell us how great we're doing or other things. The show at scuba obsessed.com and we'll get those sent to us. Uh, let's see. There's a couple others I was thinking. You can follow us on Stitcher and we're also on WRVORadio.com. You can listen to us with the other outdoor lineups, and he's got quite a bit on that. I mean, he's he's gone from maybe a couple dozen programs to I think he's got over 40 shows now on the network, so he's growing that, wrvoradio.com. Also, I'm going to be testing. I'm, I'm not real happy with TalkShoe. I mean, you know, we're keeping him for the moment, but today it was a complete disaster. We're able to actually record, and I almost wonder if that was some of the issues I had in the other weeks. I was blaming myself changing equipment out but it could have just been talk to you acting up so i'm researching on building my own streaming server that will handle the show so that will be coming up and then next week after the first of the year will be i'll be venturing into some more special effects and editing techniques of the show that i've avoided in the past going to the dark side you got anything to plug I jim mean, well go, going to the no. mac yeah going to the mac is dark side or uh uh, on it, but then also uh, just uh, as far as adding, you know, some things which I've avoided for quite a while. Oh, also we're gonna we're gonna start begging for money, so get ready. You might want to start saving your coffee money and giving it to us because we're gonna we're gonna have some additional expenses this year. We're gonna need some help recovering. Up to this point, I've been doing it out of my own pocket, and it's starting to add up. It's been creeping. It's about it cost me about two to three times what it did uh, just two years ago to put the show on. So. And we'd also like to do some more things. If we could get some money, get some help from our loyal fans and listeners to help us, we'll be able to do some more things. So now that, that you're saying that, uh, let's take an opportunity to confirm the date we're going to be there in our world underwater. And we can meet anybody who wants to see us from the Chicago, Illinois, Michigan areas. Certainly. We can yeah. make a point to, to see people there. Yep, we'll have to do that. Uh, like so. Jim, when he went to that program up north, there were several people dropped in to you know, specifically see you. Uh, let's see if we can make yeah. that happen. Yeah, we'll have, we'll do something like that, and I and I also have to uh, do some extra scuba swag, which I haven't done up till now. I've been 
little hesitant. I've been working on the website, some behind-the-scenes stuff where you really can't see what's happening, but we'll do some more. I'm off work for the next week and a half, so a lot of home projects, but I'm also taking time to, to refresh in some of the websites, some of the links. We'll get that all nice and polished, get ready and get started in a brand new year. I'm, I'm sorry, Jim, we cut you off earlier. Did you have anything you wanted to plug? Nope, nothing to plug. Uh, after the first of the year, we'll be doing some plugs, but uh, we're going to wait till we get some paperwork turned in. Cool. Looking forward to that. Is uh, Peggy still over in Japan? Yes. Was she in Japan? Over there doing? for teaching English. Ah. I'm just curious. I'm just off the cuff there. Oh, is yeah, anybody, any, either of you guys? Well, Jim, you won't be here, but uh, are you planning on uh, your gym? Plan on doing the uh, second dive of the year on January first. If you're talking to me, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm yes. hoping. I'm hoping to. It, it all depends on how many people we have at the house and what that looks like. But uh, I, I know I can't do the New Year's Eve, but I'm hoping to do the New Year's Day. Well, I got a note out to SAS finding out what they've got planned, and I've got one up to Battle Creek in that area to find out if anybody's doing something. If not, we'll have to do our own, and if we've got ice at Singer. It might be a quick jump in the water. Yeah. Well, I kind of like the, the – I sound like an old fuddy-duddy. I I really need to get out more for the show, some of these exotic locations. But it's awful nice going five minutes from home and getting a dive in. I know. That's why I like my river. I mean, I can go out there and I can spend hours. And lately, we've been spending like four times as much time at the food place afterwards discussing the meals. I mean, not the meals, but as we had our meals of coffee and whatever and soup. It's just fun to get out there and talk diving. Yeah. And, uh, and you don't have to dive to go to these. All you got to do is come. And if you don't want to do that, come to meet us in the warm place and have food with us. But like uh, Mary Beth, last time she didn't dive, she came out and did shore support. And that's helpful. I mean, you, you, can give, you can never have too much shore support. No, we love shore support. Plus, if you're a little nervous, you know, even if you're a certified diver and you really don't want to Commit to going right in the water, especially in the river. It can be a little intimidating. Come out and give us shore support a few times. You're going to learn some tricks. You're going to get more comfortable. Uh, get Bring to, your get... suit and get a little wet. You don't have to yeah. go diving. No, no. We, we, it's always nice to have somebody on shore with a throw bag. Oh, yeah. Plus, when we you know, when we have all those chests full of gold to haul out, we need somebody to help us. Hey, well, not too many people when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so are we ready for that time of the show? Oh, yeah. I'm ever ready. Okay, this one I'm pretty sure is bad. A scuba diver is traveling along a country road when he sees a farmer struggling under the weight of an enormous pig. The diver may stops his car and sees that the farmer is holding the pig up so the animal can eat acorns from an oak tree. Excuse me, he says to the farmer, but if you put the pig down and shake the tree, the acorns would fall to the ground. It would really save a lot of time. The farmer says, what's time to a pig? I don't think there was a cow out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And please send in some bad scuba jokes. But not too bad. <laughs> <laughs>